Hi, everyone. Welcome to News and Brews Sports Biz, our podcast series that advocates for the financial voices in college athletics and features new developments impacting the business of college sports. I'm Ken Kurzel. And I'm Katie Davis. Last month's episode, we talked about one of our favorite topics, telling your financial story. This month, we're going to take a deeper dive into the financial relationships between athletics and the university. We've seen a lot of discussion with various schools about truly capturing the level of institutional support they get from the university as compared to their peers, as well as comparisons of how much each athletic department transfers back to the university versus what the university might offer in direct or indirect support. Then you add scholarships into the mix and how tuition is handled, as well as what the university's cost of attendance is. And it's no wonder that no one really understands what the financial relationship is between athletics and the rest of the university. Well, Katie, you're right. There, there's a lot there, uh, a lot that, that can be confusing for schools and um, especially as they try to compare to their, compare, their peers. And we're gonna try to just dive through some of those right now. Um, one of the first things that you know we can't avoid talking about is again, COVID as much as we'd like to have it in the past. Uh, Really, COVID still is impacting the financial reporting and the financial um, results of the last couple of years. So really nothing can, we're still at that stage where nothing can be looked at in a vacuum because there's so much COVID impacts that were experienced the last two years, last three years. Um, it's making it hard to uh, to really kind of know what a normal budget looks like. And, you know, this emphasizes the fact that it's important to look at trends over time. Um, even if we didn't have COVID, you know, kind of looking at year by year is is one thing, but really looking at a five-year trend is going to really help you have a better understanding of where your department or association is. And um, we've seen a lot of schools right now they're trying to benchmark maybe their 2022 results versus fiscal year 2019, which, you know, the latter half of that might have had some COVID Im impacts, well, into the fiscal year 20. Um, but, you know, really looking at 2022 versus 2019, and then you've got inflation to deal with in there. It's, it's, it's really hard right now to look at those trends. Um, and, you know, that also kind of points towards the idea of looking at your peers. Um, you know, most of the time you're going to start out with publicly available information, such as what's on the EADA report, um, which is accessible on their website. Um, but a lot of times we've also seen conferences who do a good job of sharing the yeah. financial data with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something we would encourage, um, you know, that, that a lot is to be gained by bringing your CFOs of your conference together having conversations, sharing that financial data, sharing ideas, um, you know, because while you might be competitors on the field, uh, there's a lot, you know, really a lot that can be gained by sharing that financial information and helping each other out on that, that side. Um, and then also kind of the last point I'd add is that, you know, if you're comparing yourselves to your peer group, whether that's the conference or your state, your state or a particular university system within the state, don't only just look at, you know, where you stack up compared to the average, but look at the minimums and the maximums over that five-year period and we'll see where you stack up. Um, there's a lot of variation that can occur between years, um, so the averages can get out of whack, and um, it's it's really important to have a broader look at at where you are relative to the, the group that you're comparing to. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think, you know, you really hit home the COVID piece of it, and you know, trying to carve that out, but not lose the story because so much of this financial relationship between campus right now um, is so important to really understand what are the impacts of COVID and, you know, what kind of questions you can ask if 
if there is some assistance mm -hmm. that's needed to be able to state your value proposition around that because sure there might have been um, federal money or advances from conferences or um, you know other financial um, assistance that came in during 2020 and 2021 but um, you know some schools kind of floated that and and it's you mm -hmm. know I can't tell you how many times people said kick the can yeah and so you know this fiscal year 22 while there's not a huge COVID impact in the year the ripple effects are still being felt and so you know when we're looking at some of these numbers and really trying to understand um, a little bit about when schools are feeling pressure from campus or being criticized from in the media about running a deficit, um, you know, oftentimes it's because there's differences in what is considered institutional support and how each university treats this um, in relationship with their athletic department. And we've heard oftentimes, as we mentioned in last month's podcast, that the media um, doesn't understand institutional support. Mm -hmm. I can say I've heard right. people even at the highest levels um, within this industry say that they don't understand institutional support. Um, so, you know, just in a nutshell, like there's direct institutional support, which is, you know, your unrestricted money that's allocated to athletics by the university, which, um, you know, can be actual cash um, or non-cash, um, but that's usually through, you know, either state funds or tuition dollars or tuition discounts and waivers. Um, transfers and loans between the right. university and athletics, mm -hmm. and then any unrestricted endowment spending income um, can come from that too. And so, you know, really, there's so many different things at play, and that's just with the direct institutional support and how the university's appetite is for working with athletics, what the competing priorities are on campus, um, and, and, you know, what everything looks like from your um, state funding to your endowment support. I mean, there's just so many different things that go into that. And then you also receive student fees. And of course, student fees vary from university to university as to what portion of that would be allocated and restricted for use of by athletics. And what we are hearing is that schools that still have student fees um, for athletics, um, that student governments are having conversations about right. um, whether they should continue to um, allocate these student fees toward athletics or if there are other places on campus that need it more or do, um, do they need to, are they feeling pressure from the student body to reduce student fees altogether? Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, that's coming into play and there's conversations going on on campus around that. Um, then you have your indirect institutional support, which are more of your services provided by campus. Um, and, you know, are they covering, you know, your human resources department? Are they um, covering your, some of your IT systems? Um, and really, from a financial reporting standpoint on the NCAA reporting, it's an in and an out as an income right. and an expense. Right. They kind of offset each other. Um, and, and then you've got of course, the transfers. So you've got your transfers that offset your direct institutional support and your student fees that are above the line, um, meaning those, those are actually a reduction of revenue. 
Um, and then you have your excess transfers that fall below the line as to whether you have a, um, you know, an overage or, or deficiency as far as your revenues and expenses. And so those excess transfers fall below that line. And then in expenses, you have your scholarships. And of course, the amount, um, a big portion of that is actual, you know, money going to the university um, to support the uh, tuition of those athletes that are enrolled in the university. So, you know, as we go through all of these things, there's, there's various financial databases that are available to the public. You know, the EADA, there's the Knight Commission um, database, there's Sportico database. Um, member institutions of the NCAA have access to NCAA databases. And so, you know, I'm going to take um, one that we look at a lot is the Knight Commission Knight Newhouse Financial Database and just kind of walk through what I think some key performance indicators that can help to tell your financial story um, as it relates to the financial relationship with campus. Mm -hmm. And if you can effectively put together some data visualizations that show these trends compared to your peers. Um, and as Ken talked about these, you know, where you fit in the minimum and maximum range, as well as the fit against the average um, over a multi-year period, this could really help to show, um, you know, where you fit in the grand scheme of things and help to support maybe an ask that you're, you have of campus um, to really, you know, revisit how they support athletics. And so, um, you know, on the revenue side, you've got your institutional and government support and student fees. On the expense side, you've got your athletic student aid and those excess transfers back. Um, and so if you were to calculate a funding ratio of expenses to revenues, um, so, you know, you take your student aid mm -hmm. and the excess transfers back, divided by the institutional support and student fees that you get. Right. Um, anything that exceeds one would indicate that athletics is giving back to the university more than the university gives back to athletics. Of course, that's at a point in time right. at the, um, right. as of the day of your fiscal year end. Um, but still, it's something, especially when you're watching the trends and comparing to that same point in time um, with your peers. And, and of course, this assumes all the numbers are captured appropriately. And, and you know, we all know that these reports are not exactly apples to apples, um, especially when it comes to institutional support and these non-cash support items. But it at least gives you a starting point to talk about um, where you fit within your peers. And then you can dive deeper into those peers that campus is really benchmarking against um, and say, you know, well, here they do X, Y, Z, you know, here they do tuition waivers and we don't, or, um, you know, cost of attendance here is this versus this. Um, so, I mean, I think it at least starts the conversations and allows you to um, have, have that uh, discussion. But then the other interesting data that the Knight Commission captures is total university-wide academic spending. So another KPI that you could look at and run over time is the percentage of total athletic spending that doesn't go back to campus. So basically your expenses minus scholarships right. and not including those excess transfers. Mm -hmm. Um, and compare that to total academic spending. And you can start to see trends there of, okay, well, you know, 
certainly athletics um, does not come close to the total academic spending. And that kind of puts some things in per perspective as well. And, you know, these are numbers that I've looked more closely at recently and having conversations with our clients. And, and it's even eye-opening to me once you put it into a line graph um, right. and it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so I would recommend that you go through that process and kind of get a hold of that, those data dumps out of those websites um, and walk through that and come up with some kind of PowerPoint or something that you can share with campus um, and even with, you know, your athletic director so that they understand uh, the same story. So when they go talk to your president or chancellor, they have a little more context to go on um, as they're having that talk. Yeah, no, I would echo that strongly. And um, and you and I both talked to friends in the industry where we know, um, you know, we won't name particular schools, but one school within a within a university system in a state versus another school, same same conference, same level, and there's quite a bit of difference between you know the level of institutional support between those schools and kind of what is covered in one versus the other. Um, so it's it's highly important that business officers really kind of have a good feel for how how they do stack up uh, compared to their peers within uh, both their conferences maybe as, as well as their state system. Um, one of the other things that we're increasingly seeing, of course, is there's more and more conversation um, entering about the potential for some compensation of student athletes potentially as employees um, or other forms of revenue sharing. You know, as we see the big new media rights uh, agreements coming out that every time that occurs, I, you know, just keep thinking uh, more and more that, you know, eventually the, um, the drive might be there for compensation of uh, student athletes and what that will look like when that that day comes potentially, um, and it's going to be important for business officers to understand, you know, really where all of their funds are coming from and where they're going. One of the things that was pointed out is that, you know, it's difficult because most schools, uh, most schools honestly run at either a deficit or at, um, you know, break even at best. There's a relatively small percentage of Division One schools that that truly are profitable. Um, last month we had Matt Brown on and he had a great article this week on, you know, talking about compensation and, you know, where that would be. He sees it being well down the road potentially. But one of the things he pointed out is that the current system is really built around this idea that um, you almost have to have excess spending in some of these other areas, such as salaries and benefits and facilities, um, just because they are going to spend up all the money that they have, quite frankly. So, it's not built around a model where where there is compensation for the athletes. So it you know it shouldn't shouldn't surprise us that coaching salaries, um, you know at the top uh, the top football schools are higher than NFL salaries, or that the weight rooms are nicer uh, in the top uh, Power Five football programs than they are in their NFL counterparts. So um, you know really that money is is going heavily into those areas, and obviously if we ever head head towards an area of compensation of athletes, um, that'll have to change. Yeah, I mean, and I think if you're looking at the, you know, how revenues stack up against some of these other um, expenses that you have, coaching salaries, facilities, or athletes, you know, what has to give, and I know there's differing philosophies on this nonprofit paradox, and, and you know, are they just excessively spending because they're excessively receiving. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and then you have the small school mentality that's had to deal with the hard knocks and, and make the hard cuts and work with a lot less. Um, and, and we see it traveling around the country to different universities. Um, 
And then you also have the the philosophy of, you know, we're doing the best that we can. Um, unfortunately, sometimes the money's spent before it's even received. Right. <laughs> when Absolutely. you see these big announcements for meteorites that are coming out a few years down the road and, yep. you know, just what, how different things escalate. But, um, you know, I think really something's going to have to give. Um, if something's going to the athletes and, um, you know, what does that even look like? Nobody knows. There's a lot of speculation. And of course, we have to kind of wait and see what comes out of the NCAA transformation committee. And um, but at the end of the day, you know, the big question is going to be, will campus have to support Olympic sports? Right. And then any schools that rely on student fees, how are student how's the student government going to react to seeing these athletes being paid when they're already making cuts to student fees for athletics. And then now they're going to feel more pressure to do that um, or more feel more reason to do that maybe. Um, And I just think that there's a lot there that um, we have uh, one of our clients has a great saying that makes me laugh, but sometimes the toothpaste is already out of the tube. (laughs) That's a great. (laughs) You can't really put it back in. So, you know, making cuts is not easy um, when it's committed. So, and we'll, I'm sure, dive deep more deeply later on into debt service and, um, you know, funding some of these facilities that's still to come in the future. And so, um, you know, it's going to be, it's not as easy as saying cut the facility when you're in the middle of construction. Or and you're in the middle of paying off the debt or it related to it. Yeah. Well, that too. <laughs> exactly. So, um, and obviously if we go down this route, it's going to be important for business officers to really calculate and understand what the cost of the benefits that athletes currently receive, you know, both in the form of their scholarships, really, you know, all of the costs that go towards, um, you know, supporting those those student athletes uh, and what might change there. Uh, there, there, there probably will have to be some changes in the model. Um, you know, if if they're having to carve out a portion of the the revenue to to go to compensation, so understanding what those costs are now is is certainly good. Um, and then really also looking at you know what the you know we've seen increases quite a bit uh, in just the amount of supporting personnel that programs have. Yeah. Um, outside of just the coaching staffs um, and you know what's that going to look like for the um, you know the big sport the big revenue generating sports like like football and basketball versus the non-revenue generating sports and you know um, you'll still have academic support for all athletes undoubtedly but um, you know what 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 kind of uh, what kind of staffing levels might there be for recruiting and in some of the other uh, areas that we see there um, and then really depending on the state too, um, just as you mentioned, it's not easy to turn this on a dime. You, you can't just have massive layoffs, uh, you know, because certain states obviously will even stop that from happening based on their laws. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's a conundrum, quite frankly. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I love my Gators, um, <laughs> but that picture that's out of the football team um, with all the support staff. Surrounding huge them, support staff. Yes. Very eye opening. Um, and yep. And so, you know, what does that look like? Um, regardless, you can talk about personnel and staffing, and of course, everyone adds up, but regardless, those head coaching salaries aren't going to go down because they're under right. contract, and the agents will darn well sure make sure that's not going to happen. Yep. Um, but you do have other costs, and there's, I think, it's really eye-opening for us as outsiders coming in 
when we take tours of the facilities um, and really just seeing what else is going toward the student athletes. And a lot of people cringe at this, you know, people that are advocates for compensating student athletes, um, you know, they like to not think about all the benefits that athletes are currently receiving, um, even if it's not considered compensation. But the amount of food um, uh, that they get, the quality of food, um, what their housing is like, um, how bougie is their travel? <laughs> um, there are more and more and more that are just pressure to one up each other and yeah. charter this and charter that and stay an extra night here. And, and, um, you know, and then of course you even have scholarships, like, you know, what is that going to look like if athletes are being compensated? So, I mean, all of these things, you know, we're really not trying to get into speculation of what's going to happen in the future, but you need to kind of have this in your back pocket and be prepared because these economics are changing so quickly. And I don't think you want to be put in a position where you try to write it out and write it out as long as possible. And then campus is caught by surprise when you're drowning. Like, so I think if you're starting to prepare yourself and prepare them as it makes sense, um, to talk about the changing landscape in the industry is just going to help down the road to have a better partnership with campus to help support, um, you know, these Olympic sports that that's what everyone in college athletics is saying, what about the Olympic sports? And I think that's going to be one of those areas that um, campus is really going to have to step up and support. Right, absolutely. And, you know, we've referenced scholarships a couple times uh, in this in this podcast, and and that's an area that to definitely um, business officers need to really understand well um, and understand well where your particular institution is versus again your peer group because there's a lot of there's a lot of differences quite frankly in that area um, you know as we talked about before direct institutional support the idea of tuition fee waivers out-of-state fee waivers things of that nature um, some schools do it and some schools don't um, and again scholarships are important to <laughs> to remember, you know, as you're talking to your institution that, that that's really a transfer payment. It's going back into the institution's pocket, you know, out of athletics pocket and into the uh, the institution. So when they're giving a fee waiver, you know, in reality, they're, you know, they're just taking a transfer away. So, you know, it's, it's important to know that. And then also just to look at the fact that um, there's very big differences between schools on, um, on scholarships, uh, you know, due to the fact that their tuition is going to be very different, um, both public to private school, but then even like thinking, you know, I was looking up um, within the public school realm, you have a school like University of Virginia, which has one of the highest tuition rates in the country for a public university. You know, well, compare them, they're obviously not in the same conference, but like to a Wyoming, which has the lowest in the whole country. And actually, even Florida is on the lower end, you know, so mm -hmm. you can have schools even within the same conference where that tuition number is quite different. So, um, you know, it's going to gonna really add up to, to quite a bit of big difference in their budget. Um, and then the other thing to remember that's important on that is that, you know, as a business officer, I would be emphasizing to my institution, again, that athletic success oftentimes leads to higher enrollments. There's been a lot of studies that, that show that freshman class enrollments increasing in years after um, particularly successful athletic years. And, um, and again, that's a tuition driver for the university as a whole that's coming out of athletics. So, you know, a good case that can be made by really by the business officer um, to campus for, you know, really why to support athletics a little bit more. And, um, 
and then again within all of this in the the scholarship area and in the whole thing is um you know, it's gonna be interesting to see how the transfer portal comes into play um that is that's been just obviously a wild change to collegiate athletics the last couple of years and you know how that affects metrics like athlete enrollment or graduation rates things of that nature with with all of the transfers um just adds one more wild element to the mix yeah so that's a good point on you know some of those metrics like um graduation rates and things like that you know <clears throat> what what does that look like um, when you're looking at bonuses that are built into coaching contracts right. or what does that look like when schools are trying to increase their rankings and and their numbers are fighting against them so yeah. that'll be interesting to sit back and watch and you know i think you know we will be watching over the next few years um the numbers in some ways i think they could get worse as the extra covid year um for these athletes um, once they kind of phase out. So eventually that's going to trend down, right, um, right. whether they transfer or not um, as postgrads. But, you know, I think that extra year of eligibility, there, of course, are added costs to support them. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the good news is that can start to trend down as those athletes finish out their eligibility, as long as, um, you know, you're, you're managing rosters and getting them back to what they were pre-COVID if you weren't um, maxing those out. And, um, you know, what we've seen is that um, with any student athlete that has exhausted eligibility is that, you know, it's not count, they're not a countable player against the team roster for headcount or um, they don't count as an equivalency for those equivalency sports, but are still eligible for scholarships right. and that's going to be your biggest cost and yep. the biggest benefit that's going to the university as a trans as a, the essential transfer like what you talked about ken and so um for schools that are hitting their limits though like they're not necessarily going to get that increased payout of revenue distribution from the ncaa um to offset those scholarships that they're incurring and the ncaa has taken a look at you know like i mentioned you know what you know, with the exhausted eligibility and being accountable player or not, et cetera. But, you know, you could potentially have a hundred athletes on your football roster, but those that are in their last, in their extra year, they're not going against that 85. Right. Um, so that's going to be, you know, that could be pretty significant. Um, and university, you know, campus may not understand what that means from you from a financial standpoint. So I would definitely take a look at that area and see if there's opportunity to weave that into your uh, story. Yeah, especially as you look at trying to tell the story of the COVID impacts, and, and that's going to be one that does continue. But we're going to be in that bubble phase for, for a while here as you have these athletes that have been granted that extra year and they're carrying larger numbers. Um, and so that is important to to quantify that and bring that back to campus when you're um, maybe trying to advocate for some of the the huge dollars amount of federal funds that were received by the campuses um, as a result of the various relief acts. Um, you know that could that could be something to point out. So um, one other area that we've kind of touched on a little bit. You know, just talking talking about debt on facilities, the impact on cash flow and financial reporting. You know, there's um some scary things out there right now with i think everybody knows we're in a rising interest rate environment and you know what that looks like for one for any schools that have variable rate debt that they haven't swapped and and protected against that you know you could have additional uh interest costs that you're looking at immediately now but then there's 
have plenty of uh, schools I know that, um, you know, really have their debt structured in ways where they anticipate um, restructuring their debt or going out to market on it every mm -hmm. five to 10 years with, because they have balloons that they're going to have to refinance. Um, and they may be heading into an era where they're refinancing at higher rates and the debt service goes up. So, um, well, and not even to mention just the pressure. If you don't have a football facility yet, you're going to have one soon, <laughs> and and yep. you know having to go out to market for that. Right, and that in that football facility right now costs a lot more than it did three or four or five years ago to build too. So that's that's another factor there too. So it all points to universities really needing to shore up their balance sheets as they go to market uh, on this with yeah. their new bonds, their new facilities. It could be that you know there's a long been a tradition where you go out and you fundraise, you get pledges for a new project um, and the banks and the financing institutions will accept a certain level of pledge, you know, of cash versus pledges and so forth. But with, with rising rates and, and more pressure on that now, I think we're looking at an era where you're going to need to come to the table with more cash than you had before. Uh, and you're going to need to have a, a stronger balance sheet, um, you know, to, to get the good rates and to, to get the financing. So, um, again, another just one more challenging factor for business officers, you know, as they look at their their finances and um, and again, taking that story back to campus and explaining why, um, you know, why it's important maybe that um, the campus chips in, uh, participates a little bit more in, in some of these activities. Also, telling your story to donors and helping them to understand, um, you know, the importance on the fundraising side. Yeah, um, when they're when they're torn between the. <laughs> Giving their money to the collective. Yeah. <laughs> I knew where you're going. And, and you know, a note for the non-accountants, aka the media that might be listening: um, a balance sheet is not your budget. So I think a lot of the term balance sheet gets mis misused a lot. Of oh, a budget has to be balanced, and that's that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is your your assets compared to your liability and what your overall financial position is. Um, you know, are you running a surplus or a deficit? From a long-term perspective, not just in right. a year-to-year -year basis, year. and there's no balance sheet anywhere. Um, not in the NCAA system, no. No, so, or you know, nowhere. So other than what's rolling up into the entire university. Right. So, you know, you know what it looks like being internal, um, and you know, I think you need to be working with the the finance people on campus as they're looking to doing some, you know, bond shopping of you know, what, what does this look like? What do we need to do? How do we need to think ahead long-term um, as we're looking at any kind of refinancing or new projects that, you know, to keep up in the arms race, so to speak. So, um, you know, I think, you know, I've talked a lot about data visualizations and, and such, but, you know, really being able to build out a dashboard that can be used by some of these decision makers, um, like the president or chancellor, um, your campus CFO, and, and even being able to monitor it yourself um, is going to be huge. And, um, and I keep saying build out dashboards, but I can tell you it's, it sounds a lot harder than it is. Um, mm -hmm. You can easily yep. export this public data from EADA and Knight Commission and import it right into one of your business intelligence softwares. And um, if you don't know how to do that, call us because we can help you. Um, and we think it's really important to be able to have this um, and be looking at it through all these KPIs and things we've been talking about. Um, and you know, do you have the ability to kind of 
provide some projections um, under some of these various future scenarios of, you know, what is a change in CFP governance look like? Um, how is conference realignment and media rights going to impact you? Um, what does it look like if athletes are employees? Um, if there's a shift in fundraising due to NIL, um, what is debt service with higher interest rates? Right. Um, you know, are there added costs? That this is something else I'm hearing: added costs to remain in compliance with Title IX. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there's just a lot of a lot of stuff going on, um, and you're going to have to be able to do some future projections under these scenarios to really also show what your needs are going to be, and at least be prepared yourself so that you can start. Um, you know, if you have to start making cuts, um, you can start doing that to try to build up some kind of reserve. But you know build those relationships and understanding on campus. It doesn't happen overnight. I know some CFOs in power five schools that have come from smaller schools and they, I think that's an advantage for them because they're able to kind of approach it with that small school mentality and say, you know, to campus, Hey, this is, this is what finances and athletics means. It's very different from the rest of the world. And um, you know, this is how our relationship can be mutually beneficial and take the time to really build it. Don't just sit down for one meeting and then disappear, um, you know, walking away with your handout sort of, you don't want to do that, but, you know, have some way to really communicate what your financial value proposition is. And, um, you know, another thing that is actually really eye-opening, I think, anytime I'm doing a presentation to um, you know, leaders on campus or board of regents, board of trustees, et cetera, is, you know, when we're going through the NCAA agreed upon procedures document, um, we explain the purpose of that is not only to update your president or chancellor about your financial status and whether you're in compliance with certain uh, requirements of the NCAA, but it also supports the revenue distribution that you receive. And that can be huge too. And so I think just reminding them that that it's so important for your financials to be handled right um, and and to be watching this because the money's coming in and it's not just another thing that you're doing to check a box. Um, it it actually matters. And so I think, you know, just things like that that seem so simple that a lot of us take for granted. Um, when you're able to explain the purpose and the why behind a lot of the things that happen, it's it's surprising to me how eye-opening it is to people that don't work in athletics every day. No, that's great. A lot of great points there. And I really like the idea of, you know, kind of building out those dashboards and visualizations. Because again, a lot of times you're, you're making those communications across campus with people that may not be numbers people per se, you know, so the idea of being able to put a picture to it and uh, graphs and other uh, things and making it dynamic is, is really important. So a picture's worth a thousand words. Yeah, exactly. So um, well, that concludes this episode, and um, we want to talk a little bit, of course, uh, before we go about um, our favorite brews of choice or favorite drinks of choice. So, Katie, um, what are you enjoying today? So, I'm going to cover a caffeinated brew um, from Miapa Latin Cafe in Gainesville. Mm. I had a cortadito um, today, and I need another one right now, to be quite honest. <laughs> uh, they are very good. Um, and so I'm, I'm enjoying the coffee right now. No, that's a great choice. It's a, a nice slice of South Florida that we have up here in North Florida. And it's, it's really good. So, well, I'm going to pivot a little bit also. Uh, you know, we talk about the fact that we love craft beer so much and coffee so much. 
Um, but also I get in, in modes where I really enjoy red wine um, and particularly red wine from California. So, so my brew of choice, uh, you know, brewed grapes, I guess, is uh, was enjoying last night a glass of Ridge uh, Zinfandel from 2014, their Geyserville Vineyard. Um, just an excellent, excellent red wine and um, one that I enjoy very much. And I appreciate that you are a connoisseur of red wine um, because <laughs> when you we always travel out, out of town, <laughs> you always pick out great wine for me and any clients that we're entertaining. So I know they probably appreciate it too. And and I will mention from a brew standpoint, I did see um, something related to um, what uh, Bud Light is doing with schools in the state of Texas and having some kind of giveaway. I don't remember the details, but based on how various schools in Texas um, uh, fare in the first uh, football games of the year. And so I just want to give a shout out to um, our, our friends in Texas. Uh, you know who you are, and we hope that you do well. And even though Bud Light might not be our first beer of choice, Good job for them for helping to, exactly. um, you know, bring some fan engagement and awareness um, around uh, the college athletics area. Um, so this was us doing this deeper dive, kind of just word vomit of all the information we know about institutional support and hopefully giving you some new takeaways. If you just learned one new thing, I think that would be great of a new idea that you can take and, and try to implement on your campus. So we really hope it was helpful for you trying to get these new ideas and explain your financial relationship. And um, for those that are trying to better understand college athletics finances, I hope this was educational for you as well. So thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Cheers. Cheers. To learn more about the James Warren Company Collegiate Athletics and Higher Education segments, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to sign up for insights to get our latest industry updates, news and events delivered straight to your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at jmcohighered and on LinkedIn for the latest news as the landscape of collegiate athletics and higher education is continually evolving.